Listen to America when we were young. Vietnam. I have some very sad news for all of you. Assassinations. It is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. Civil unrest. Kent State. I was working for a Cleveland congressman. Calls from constituents, some of whom said they should have killed more of them. That's Ollie member Mike Hoffman. Went to dinner uh, when we got home. People actually left and, and called us names and, and, and stuff. It was pretty horrific. And that's Big Mike Menifee, who was drafted into the Vietnam War. You know, I cannot even begin to imagine receiving that letter in the mail. That's the voice of Jason Davalos, a student at Cal State. And listen to his young classmate, Amanda Regal, who had one word to describe her feelings if her husband would be drafted. Devastated, because I'm 100% sure he would go. The 1960s and the 2020s. An eye-opening conversation about young adults doing what they can to get it together while the world feels tumultuous, confusing, and on the breaking point. Welcome to In Conversation, the Voices of Ollie. Ollie, O-L-L-I, is an acronym for the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, located at and networked with the Palm Desert campus of California State, San Bernardino. Ollie shares the Palm Desert campus with over a thousand young Cal State students. Since more than four decades separate the two communities, as well as cultural and economic experiences, we seek to close the gulf as we host intergenerational forums and events. Plus, in the near future, an imaginative project called Sages and Seekers. The episode of In Conversation brings together two men who grew up in the tumult, confusion, and violence of the 60s, paired with two students coming of age in the 2020s, when tumult, confusion, and violence seemed to be the watchwords. The conversation began with introductions. Michael Hoffman was first. I've been retired for almost 20 years. I worked solely in the public sector and the not-for-profit sector. Yeah, so my name is Jason Davalos. I'm a pre-nursing major, and I'm also excited to announce that I have been accepted into the nursing program, so I'll be starting nursing school uh, next semester. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Hello. I'm a student. My Next semester is my last semester. I have a passion for 501c3 nonprofit activity. So that was really fun to hear you talk about that, Mr. Hoffman. Um, Mike, please. Mike, Mike. Okay, Mike. I am currently a student assistant for the new Sages and Seekers program, which is kind of what we're doing now, like intergenerational communication. So that'll be fun. Uh, my name is Mike Menifee. I am one of those that was lucky enough to be drafted and uh, went to Vietnam. And I was lucky enough to come home. Uh, gosh, I haven't talked about this stuff in ages, um, so you'll have to bear with me. But yeah, turbulent times back then, as are they are now. So uh, anxious to see where this goes. What Mr. Menifee, Big Mike, 
to his friends, uh, what he didn't say is that he was a highly decorated soldier, a true war hero, but treated for years as almost a criminal by too many of those back home. Amanda, community service, I think, is the highest form of patriotism. And Mike, who comes back from Vietnam and is spat upon, I'm not defending those people. So the people who were opposed to the war in the best form were highly patriotic because they knew it was wrong. Yeah, you know, my, both my parents were in the service. My mom was in the Army uh, Air Corps and my dad was in the Navy. So kind of came from a military family. Uh, but my parents were, um, they did not like the war. For me, when I got drafted, I just felt it was, it was my duty um, because of where we lived to, to answer and go. I changed a lot, you know, after I got out, obviously. But my folks did not want, my folks actually wanted me to go to Canada. They were that dead set against going. Um, and for a nanosecond, I thought about it. But at that time, you know, with the implications of, you know, being a draft dodger and living in a different country and looking over my shoulder and, and I, I just, I, I decided not to. But I was a little bit shocked when I got home and on the reception of, you know, I didn't expect a parade or everybody throwing, you know, ribbons in the air or something. But just getting off the plane and, and walking into someplace public and having people basically shun, shun you. So I w I'm confused. So you felt like you had to go and then you went and when you came back, you did not feel appreciated? You know, this is the first war that was actually brought into the living room. Everybody ate dinner at night and watched the war, you know? It was brought into their houses. And when you got home, uh, you were kind of not welcome. It was pretty horrific. I wasn't prepared for it. My folks, and the first thing I asked him was they had to take me someplace so I could buy civilian clothes because I was actually ashamed to even wear my uniform. And that's like taking the brunt of the whole political processes and had nothing to do with you. No. no. Very observant, Amanda. And, and notice how it took us 40 years to build the Vietnam War Memorial. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You know, I cannot even begin to imagine receiving that letter in the mail. Oh. <laughs> and I, I don't know how I would have had that strength to make that choice. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it does feel like I am a senator's son in my situation now. You know, I'm a full-time <laughs> college student. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've dedicated my life to academics. I received a scholarship. I'm studying full time. I couldn't imagine losing that all in a split second with mm -hmm. a letter and, and having to, to go and, and, and leave what I know. And not only that, but coming back and having the world that I used to know be completely foreign. I couldn't imagine that. And now that I look back on it, I've gotten rid of all the animosity as, as far as feeling angry at people that didn't go because they could have gone. I can tell you right now, I'm 100% sure that my wonderful husband, if he received a call, he would go because it, it, 
you're serving your country and you're called to do that. And mm-hmm. so I just, I think it, I, I stand with you. I think it's, I'm glad you were, were there for us. The conversation turned to what scares students today. A pandemic that isolated them just at a time when new friendships and relationships should have been blossoming all over the place. Climate change, hmm. And of course, unrelenting mass shootings in schools, that alone a horror unimagined in the 60s. Those are genuine concerns that we have uh, growing up in today's world. Uh, I remember there was a time during high school when there was actually a a, a school shooting threat at at Palm Desert High School. It was very concerning. And of course, just not of not being in the know, especially at, at a time where there seemed that you turned on the news every other week and there was another mass shooting at a high school. And also, uh, as far as the pandemic goes, as you, it, it, it killed so many people, more people than any war in American history. Things that you had to do, like wear a mask in public, that was not only a benefit to you, but it was a benefit to your neighbors. Uh, a vaccine, uh, something that was meant to not only protect you, but protect your neighbors as well. That, that is a service that we had domestically. And it seemed that there wasn't enough people that understood that. You know, the isolation, that was something that... Um, again, it wasn't, it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be necessary if we would have taken the steps against this pandemic. That was our enemy domestically was COVID-19. Jason, what changed that mental state? You said you weren't in a good state mentally, but what? You know what? I consider myself a very extroverted person. I'm the kind of person that I need to be in the moment. I need to be in the classroom interacting with other people and it felt difficult switching making that switch and uh being on zoom and just seeing a bunch of you know black screens and that that was that was my education for about a year and a half almost two years um i have two parents who have uh a pre-existing health condition so interacting with others wasn't an option for me and of course i had to i had that choice is okay, I can choose to protect my family and do what I think is right in this situation, or I can put myself at risk and my family at risk. Amanda, did you go through a similar uh, change of experiences? It was a little scary. My husband did get sick at one point, and so that was was pretty scary. But um, I'm also a mom, so um, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with my son that I wouldn't have otherwise had to spend so there was some pleasure there college can be kind of daunting when it comes to like so how much time you have to spend in class but um I have I have enjoyed coming back to campus very much you know this pandemic has hit all of us I lost my daughter to COVID and uh you know it's um you know, and hope, you know, and, and maybe it could have been preventable. I, I don't know that. Big Mike left it at that. And the conversation continued. Or what scares me or, or brings me to that place of admitting fear. We've got the real world and then we've got the digital world. And there's there's expectations in the real world, but the digital world doesn't have any of those expectations. I just see a pattern, I think, of uh, misinformation. That's what scares me. I think adding on to what Amanda has stated, uh, it does seem that social media really driven this this political divide. This isn't as much as a generational uh, struggle as it was for all of you. Uh, we see a deep divide that it, it seems it's very tribal. It seems that there's these groups on social media that you follow, uh, you join, you subscribe to them, 
And that is what you follow. And, and the information that you receive kind of lock yourself into this echo chamber where the only information that you will receive is from those people alone. I, I, I don't want to say that we've completely seen the effects of that yet, but I think January 6th is a, is, is a pretty solid example of that. Um, I would say that was driven by social media and it was amplified all over social media and it reached these people to the point that that was the only thing that they saw. The beauty of social media, right? You can spread information immediately and it will be, it will reach millions of people in minutes. And something really small can look really big and then everybody can get on board with something that was very small. Exactly. I can remember exactly where I was when I saw those people rush, break, break that window uh, with a, with a riot shield into the Capitol. I remember exactly where I was sitting and I was actually watching the protests going on in the morning for about two hours. And I saw them inch closer and closer and closer. And I saw that crowd and I said, I hope they don't, I hope they don't push it too far. But it almost becomes like a theatric. Look how quickly the misinformation got out. And look how much, how much people swallowed all the misinformation because it's available on this social structure that we've created. This, this, you almost weaponize. Exactly. The, you know, so now you've got people that, that extremely believe stuff that, that a normal, intelligent person would say, what are you talking about? And yet they, they swallow it like a hook in a, in a pond on a big trout. You've got to be out of your mind. So, I Amanda, Jason, let me ask you a question. I bring it kind of closer to home, if I might. The single basic responsibility of each of us is to vote. Mm -hmm. You start from there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happened in 2022, however, Riverside County, only 4% of the eligible voters under 30 bothered to vote. Will you please talk me through that? What's going on and what we do about it? Young people don't know what they're voting for. So they don't want to vote for the wrong thing. And also maybe they don't trust the information. I do argue in the sense that California has one of the best voting systems in terms of sending out information to every elector on the issues and on on the candidates. Do you trust your do you trust your government? Mike, Mike, big Mike, do you trust your government? Yes. Because, I mean, back in the day when you decided to go to the war, you did trust your government. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So so that element was in place. And I don't know if that element is still in place in the minds of young people. Let Maybe Jason can touch on that. Yeah, Amanda, I think I think we're kind of heading in the same direction here. I think uh, Mike Hoffman, to, 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 to bring it home to your question, I think that uh, there has been this grown tiredness uh, within our generation of continuing to vote and getting the same product every single time, no matter what party that we vote for. There's been recently more at stake on the ballot. When you put things like abortion rights on the ballot, when you put things like uh, uh, gay marriage and, and transgender language. And, and yeah, that's another point that Amanda, that you, that's fantastic that you bring it up is in other States. It's so confusing. Whereas abortion rights, it was a very confusing wording. It's like, do you not want abortion rights part to be part of the constitution or to be kind of like the, the tobacco one we just did the one about tobacco. <laughs> I struggled with that. It was, yeah, it was the proposition like, on flavored tobacco and I, I struggled to understand it. And it, it, it's so difficult when 
I wouldn't I wouldn't say that as much about California, but in other states, there does seem that there is this intentional push to confuse voters to to legally there's a loophole to suppress voting. And it's that's one way that you can do it. Uh, but again, I think that that most people have just grown tired of voting and not seeing any results. So to those to those, I say. Uh, there needs to be more people that are willing to run that are that actually trust. going to group. And, and there does need to be more uh, federal regulation of these people in terms of, of, you know, can you take corporate donations? They need to put caps on that. And of course, uh, Citizens United, that was decided in what, 2010? And that basically meant that dollars equals freedom of speech. That is one of the, the worst decisions that has ever been made in Supreme Court history that has led to this, uh, where you have candidates that are taking corporate dollars and that's protected and that is not right. And that has contributed to this, again, this endless cycle of getting nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Talk you know, that. I can't imagine when, when I was watching when I was a kid and, and growing up and, you know, Huntley Brinkley was on or Walter Cronkite and, and they were like, they were almost like gods for the media. And if they said something, you 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 just drank it, you took it in, and now you you watch it and it's holy moly, why is this person even on TV? You know, just spreading this this crap that's on there, and it's it's I guess maybe the news has even gotten more social now. They got to hire younger people because they have to appeal to the masses. It's not about the content anymore; it's how mm -hmm. they present it. I'm scared to watch the news anymore. It's frightening. 100%. To me. 100%. I do you know? not watch it. I do not watch it. And yet, the media coverage of the Ukraine war has been exceptional in this nation to support our support of that war effort in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yes, there are some important parts of media. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a great reporter for the New York Times in his cub reporting days. He worked for a newspaper in Winston-Salem, and he said it was a very good newspaper. It covered the news very well, except tobacco was off the table. Mm. We didn't discuss that for obvious reasons. And... You're going to see that in every paper, good as they are, whether it's the, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post, they are selective in what they cover and because they have to be. We know our generation, besides the Vietnam thing, we were right in the middle of the civil rights, too. And then looking at today, and you see... All of the hate, the ethnic hate that is still, it is still, I, it, I, I, I just, I can't believe that we're still dealing with because somebody's different than you, that you're screaming. I, I just. Uh, you were all fighting for the things that we're continuing to fight today. And mm -hmm. uh, we're continuing the work that you started. You know, I, I get a lot of people at my age thinking, oh my God, the youth of today, they just, oh boy, you know. And you know what? I'm talking to the two of you. It restores my faith in in our younger people because we eventually have to pass the torch, and there's got to be somebody there to take it. 
and it and it comforts me a little bit when I know there's people like you that are that are ready, you know, and it'll it'll do the right thing. You know, you two generation, you guys are so much smarter. You know so much more than we did at that oh, age. Boy. Yeah. And if you if you're willing to say, I know it's not going fast enough, but I'm working to keep it in the right direction, then wow. Uh us old farts are, are going to be the bene beneficiaries of your activity. Uh, this is my second time participating in the Ollie Intergenerational Project podcast. And, and I'm always reminded of the lessons of the wisdom that I can take away from the generations before me. And again, you know, Mike uh, Menefee mentioned, uh, you know, there's this kind of predisposition to say, oh, well, that generation doesn't understand. You know, they don't they don't get it. But we do. We do under understand each other because it's almost the same effort. It's the same, like you said, Mike, it's the passing on of the torch. It's, it is the same effort just with a new generation. And I think mm -hmm. that it's always a valuable reminder to me that there's something to learn from the people that have come before me. And, and thank you both for sharing your wisdom, sharing your stories. I'm always incredibly appreciative when I have the opportunity. So thank you. It's a pleasure to meet all of you people. I, this was really fun for me. <laughs> very, very nice. This has been In Conversation, the voices of Ollie. Our thanks to Cal State San Bernardino in Palm Desert, along with communications study professor Lacey Kendall and her media students. This podcast was produced for Ollie by Lou Gorfing. And I am Dr. Arlette Poland.